0: We are walking through the passage in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. These titles for Jesus Christ that are applied to Him in His lifetime. This prophecy concerning one who would be, who would be born. And I want you to think for a moment, do you ever need strength? Can you think of times you've thought in your life, man, I just, I need strength. God, give me strength. For me, I was thinking of that a lot this week and this morning. I've I've been sick all week. I'm I'm still not 100%. If I shook your hand, I'm sorry. (laughs) You might want to wash your hands. Um, You might need strength. Um, I I was in bed, I think, most of Tuesday and Wednesday. And uh, all that to say, if there's any heresy that comes out today, that's what it is. It's not me. It's just the sickness talking. But there are those times that we need strength, which does beg the question, what do we mean by strength? Think about getting a jar out of the fridge or out of the pantry and you can't open it, right? I'm not going to use any genders or anything, but you look for somebody else. You say, hey, can you open this for me? I need someone stronger than me to open it for me. Or maybe you have something heavy that needs to be carried and you think I need somebody stronger than me to carry this strength. That's pretty obvious. What about when you're going through a tough time at work or at home or with a friend and it just weighs heavy on you and you think, I need strength. I need strength to get through this. That's a very different meaning of strength, isn't it? Have you ever seen strongman competitions? I, I, I don't get into this stuff, but I see clips every once in a while these guys that are lifting ridiculously heavy things. I think there's one where they have to actually pick up a car and carry it like a certain distance. I've seen them where they have to tow like a train. or a. There was one I saw they had to pull an airplane, not flying, of course. That I would watch. Like a jet airliner and they have to like pull it along the tarmac or something. I mean, it's crazy. They're throwing telephone poles, very useful stuff, you know, things that you might need in your day-to-day life. But could you imagine, I could imagine if I had a jar that I couldn't open and that one of those guys was present, like, duh, I mean, here, take the jar, I'm sure you can open it. But what if somebody I love had just passed away and I needed strength? Is, is that the guy I'm going to call? Is that the kind of strength that I need? No, I'm sure they're wonderful people and maybe they would be helpful. But my point is there are different types of strength. And there are different times that we need different types of strength. So as we come to the passage today in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we're looking at this title of Mighty God. Let me just read it again. Very famous passage for, to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, we looked at that last week, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this week I want to look at this idea of Jesus being called Mighty God. What does this mean and what difference does it make? And first we need to understand what their need was. We've talked about the the context of this passage, but I feel the need to bring it back because we need to understand what they understood this passage to mean. What would they have heard that phrase Mighty God to mean? And and the first thing is that the emphasis is on this idea. In fact, this was a title that would be used for a champion or a a great soldier. It was a, a mighty person of valor, someone who was strong and mighty in battle. And if you remember the context of what was going on, this is being told to the southern kingdom of Israel. At this time, Israel had been split in half through a civil war. And the Northern Kingdom was coming against the Southern Kingdom. And the Northern Kingdom had aligned with all these other kingdoms, and they're coming to battle. And the Southern Kingdom is looking at their border going, there's no way we win this battle. There's no way. We are about to be wiped out. And that's when this prophecy comes in. God, through the prophet Isaiah, is telling them, hold on, I'm going to rescue you. And we know from the context and the rest of the passage that that's exactly what happens. Uh, The northern kingdom actually has some other enemies that come in and overthrow them. And the southern kingdom is rescued. But in this, God is telling these people, I'm going to raise up someone. It's going to be a mighty warrior. He's going to fight for you and he's going to rescue you. God had a plan. God knew exactly what was going to happen, and he wants his people to know this in this time that they're struggling to hold on, and he's saying, hold on, I know what I'm going to do for you. Open up in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11. I want to go close to our passage today. I want us to see what came after our passage, to understand what this person was going to do, and some other definitions or descriptions of this warrior, this mighty God that is being described. And as you're turning there, let me just say, our English translation is mighty God. And and as a good Christian that loves deep theology, I, I want to bring up, see, this is Jesus, and he is divine. This phrase could be used for just normal people. It literally meant a great champion. It does not necessarily, in and of itself, declare that Jesus is God. We're going to get there, hold on to it, but I want us to understand first how they would have understood this. And as we look at the rest of Isaiah's prophecy, well, not all of it, but in chapter 11, verse 1, he's going to continue talking about this person that is being foretold, this mighty God, this rescuer that would come. And he says in chapter 11, verse 1, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Now, let me just explain what's going on here. Jesse is the father of David, King David. King David is the epitome of the greatest king in all of Israel. He is the one they look to as what a king should be and how the kingdom should be going in general. David was not perfect, but there's this ongoing idea throughout the Old Testament. One will come from David's line who will be a perfect king over Israel. And so this idea of a stump, the stump of Jesse, it's referring to David's line. Again, Jesse is David's father. Uh, And it's this idea of a tree that had been cut off and it looks like it's lost. And it looks like it's not going to happen any longer. But a shoot is going to come out of that stump. That thing that looked like it was dead and gone and lost. And this is exactly what the Old Testament history of Israel is. Everything looks over time like it's lost, like God's people are cut off. And then a shoot, a sprout grows up a new hope for a new king, this one who was born in a manger on Christmas morning from the tribe of David. The rest of chapter 11 describes this person specifically as a very righteous king, someone who would perfectly follow God's commands, someone who would bring an unimaginable peace, a peace that was greater than anything else that had ever happened. He would also deliver God's people in a powerful way and bring salvation. Now again, as good Christians, we hear that word, bring salvation. And we automatically jump to, he will save his people from their sins. And that's good. When we're saved by Jesus, we are saved from our sins. But we need to understand how these people heard this. When an army is camped at your door, coming to get you, and God says, I'm going to save you, your mind is not going to go to, oh, great, he's going to save me from my sins. You're going to go to, he's going to save me from that army. He's going to rescue me, deliver me. But throughout this, there is clear indication that yes, that's what God's going to do. He is going to save those people. And I think this is important because as I read this, and again, as a Christian, I read this, uh, you know, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I put myself in their position and think, if I felt like my family was about to be captured by a foreign army or we were about to be wiped out and our land was about to be overrun and God came to us and said, you know what, don't worry Because in 700 years, I'm sending my son to die on a cross for you. I would think, that's awesome, God. Um, Not really my most pressing issue at this moment. And I want us to understand these prophecies were meant for these people in their situation. But they also have a larger meaning for Jesus Christ. It's not like they heard these things and was like, well, I don't really know what that means and it doesn't really apply to us. But man, one day people are going to be blessed by this. God was telling them in their difficult situation, I'm going to rescue you. But he gives all these hints that he's saying even more than just that. Listen to the words of Isaiah chapter 12. I'll put them up here on the slide for you. Following this promise of this king who would come in chapter 11, God says in chapter 12, In that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day, you will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy. People of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel. Among you, do you see these promises promises of deliverance, promises of strength and power and salvation in the difficulties they were going through, but do you also hear the notes of something greater, the beginnings of kind of a melody that 's going to continue on through Jesus Christ that yes he 's with them, yes he 's going to deliver them, but he is giving us hints of something so much greater that is going to come. They needed a mighty God. And the promise here is twofold, and there's a lot of overlap. It's that God will bring them someone who will deliver them, and God himself will deliver them. That's a really interesting overlap, God. Which is it? Are you going to send someone to deliver us? Or are you going to be the one who delivers us? And the answer, of course, is yes. Both. Now, they had a need in this situation. They had this army that was camped at their doorstep, and they didn't know how they were going to survive. But there was a deeper issue going on through all of this. The reason that the nation of Israel split in the Old Testament is because they lost sight of who God was. They failed to follow him. They turned away, especially the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom became incredibly wicked and evil, just not caring about God whatever. The southern kingdom had its good points and bad points. But in general, it was a very dark time where the people had lost sight of the fact that God had called them, he had saved them, he had brought them into a relationship with him, and yet they just kept on doing their own thing. You see, they had a greater need. They needed a different, and I would suggest even greater strength than being delivered from the army. Their bigger issue was they needed to be delivered from their sin. And so God promises he is going to send someone mighty to rescue them. What is our need today? We often look for mighty answers. We look for strength more than just opening a pickle jar or something. We have situations in our life, situations in our country, situations in our world, in our culture. And we say, God, I don't know, I don't know how to deal with this. I'm just overwhelmed by the difficulty of the situation. And so we look for things that are mighty. Things that will be strong enough to get us through that. Sometimes we look to politics. We think if I could just be for the right thing and against the right thing and get the right person in the right office at the right time, then everything would be great. And generation after generation, election after election goes by that proves it's just not true. There's always another need. There's always a deeper issue. We look for strength at times in our accomplishments. Well, look how much I've grown. Look at what I've done. Look at how far I've come. Look at how great I am. And then we get in a tough situation where it seems like our accomplishments are unhelpful or just don't matter at all. We face struggles in our marriages, struggles with our children, our friends, sometimes struggles in our churches, our communities. And what is it that we need? What is the strength that we actually need to overcome these things? Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, God promises someone who will deliver his people, who will be described as mighty God. What do you think they expected? If they could picture what kind of person this would be, I think they would be expecting a powerful warrior king to raise up an army and go to battle. And if we fast forward 700 years or so, they're still expecting the same thing. Last week we said that Matthew clearly takes words straight out of Isaiah chapter 9 and applies them to Jesus. He wants us to see that the greatest fulfillment of what Isaiah is saying in chapter 9 is Jesus Christ. But how? How is Jesus the mighty God. And when we come to the New Testament, we, we are immediately hit with the struggle that Jesus is not who we would have expected him to be. He is not who they expected him to be. The situation around Jesus' birth is in many ways not all that different from Isaiah's time in the Old Testament. The nation is still struggling Now they're under foreign oppression. The Romans rule over them. They are heavily taxed. They are struggling with poverty. They are hoping and believing that God's going to send someone to deliver them from these Roman oppressors. Throw off this political struggle, this economic and social struggle, this military struggle. Overcome these things. God, send us a conqueror. Well, he does. And an angel appears to Mary. And declares to her, and and think what she would be expecting and anybody else that read this at that time. The angel said to her, this is Mary, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Do you hear the strains of these promises from the Old Testament? This promised conquering king that would come and deliver his people. And and so we can picture what I think they pictured. Well, this is great. This is the guy that's going to be the mighty God, the mighty warrior. It's going to overthrow all of our enemies. And then we look at another scene where the angels appeared to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, 11, or 10 and 11. Angels said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is it. This is the mighty one that was promised. The mighty one that God said would come and deliver them. This is great. Can you imagine what these shepherds expected to find? Princely baby born in a palace surrounded by an army ready to rise up, you know, as he got older and lead them. This would be wonderful. But then the angels say this in chapter 2, verse 12. This will be a sign to you. This is great. I'm a shepherd and I can imagine the sign that God would give, you know, a king surrounded by, by treasures and everybody just worshiping him. This is going to be great. And the angels say, you'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This is one of those words we use so often in Christmas that it almost... I'm going to be careful how I say this, but it almost spoils it. Because our picture of a manger is a cute little nativity scene, and it's the scene of worship and holiness and awe and wonder, and it's great. That's not how shepherds would have heard that word. This is a feeding trough for animals. That's how they heard that word. You will find the baby placed in an animal's feeding trough. There's nothing holy about it. There's nothing special about it. It is completely ridiculous for an angel to proclaim that this savior, this mighty one from God that would be this king and deliver his people would be born in a feeding trough for animals. And that's the sign that they're going to get that, yep, that's the guy. It is completely surprising and unexpected. And that's exactly what they found. A child born to poor parents, no fortress, no castle, no army, no kingly surroundings. And they still bowed down and worshipped. The one who would be called the mighty God from Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 was not at all what the people expected. And they struggled with that his whole life. Throughout the Gospels, you see people struggling with that very thing. Jesus is not what they expected him to be. He didn't form an army. Maybe he came from humble beginnings and he would rise up and be this military revolutionary, but that's not what he did. He didn't gather mighty men around him to form the basis of this powerful army. He selected a group of 12 very regular, in some ways, subpar guys. They were nobodies. No offense to the apostles. But they certainly were not a fighting force by any stretch of the imagination. Throughout his life, he was mostly followed by poor people, people without influence or power. And then when he did gather crowds, he didn't rile them up and and teach them to overthrow the Romans. He taught them how to live. He taught them who God was. What sin is. And why we need to be saved from our sin. And he did talk about a kingdom. And it was that subject that so often people would grab onto. This is it, the kingdom. Yes, Jesus. Don't know about all that stuff, but kingdom. I'm all in. Let's get those Romans. We're going to win. But it was a kingdom that was still a ways away. And it was starting small and it was growing within their world through people's lives being changed. And he spoke about the kingdom in a way that it really seemed like something had to happen first, that it wasn't quite time for the kingdom to come. And then this mighty warrior was arrested. They brought fake charges through an illegal court experience. And There's this question, like, what is he going to do? If he is this promised mighty warrior, this mighty God, wouldn't he rise up and overthrow these oppressors? Clearly, it was time to fulfill Isaiah 9 6. But instead, he let them arrest him. He let them convict him through an illegal trial. He let them nail him to a cross. And there, the promised mighty warrior died. Surprising everybody. But the surprise didn't end there. As we know, he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rose. And and all of these hopes were rekindled. Maybe this is the time. Now he's going to make everything right in our world. Now he's going to overthrow the Romans. Instead, he started talking about leaving and going to prepare a place for people. And, and if I'm one of his followers, I'd be like, Jesus, man, the place is here and now. Can we Let's fix this up. Let's make it what it should have been in the first place. And we'll bring your kingdom and this will be great. And he says, no, I have to go. And one day I'm going to come and get you to be where I am. And then he gave marching orders to his disciples. Well, this makes sense. Come and king. And maybe he wants us to fix this world and do all the work for him. And what does he tell his disciples? Go out there and change the world and change the government and throw off all the oppressors? He says, no, go and make disciples. He says, go to one person. Tell them about me. Teach them to follow me. And then go to another person. Tell them about me. Teach them to follow me. And instead of giving marching orders for this revolution that would rise up and change the whole world, he made us ambassadors to take this message of his death and resurrection to the world. This was not at all what people expected from the deliverance or for their deliverance from a mighty God. But Jesus is the mighty God. In many more surprising ways. In the Gospel of John, he explains why he wrote his Gospel. And it's at the end, near the end, in John chapter 20, verse 31. He says, I've written all these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I think John and all the other apostles, they understood how much of a struggle it was to accept who Jesus was, how surprising this was. And so they wrote these gospels, this good news of who Jesus is and what he did. And John says, I specifically am writing this that you may believe. Because John knew that the mighty power of God, this mighty deliverance that was going to come through Jesus Christ had nothing to do with an army. It had everything to do with being saved through Jesus Christ. That was the strength that we truly need underneath everything else that's going on. But John also wanted to make it clear that, that we must make no mistake. Jesus is mighty God. In John chapter 1, he describes Jesus as the word of God made flesh. The one who is God, who is equal to God and took on humanity to save us. In John chapter 5, he teaches us that Jesus healed a man who could not walk for 38 years. John chapter 6, he feeds 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. John chapter 9, he heals a man who was born blind. John chapter 11, he stands at the grave of a man who had been dead for three days and speaks. And Lazarus gets up and walks out alive. These are not the actions of a timid or weak person. These are the actions of a mighty God, one who can deliver us. They are proof of his power and proof of his identity as truly God made flesh come to save us. The miracles in scripture, and we talked about this in Chris's Sunday school this morning, they are proof of who Jesus is. But they're also a demonstration and an explanation of what his kingdom is about. There's one other passage I want to look at. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, there's a very interesting miracle that Jesus does. Let me read for you Mark chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Some men came, bringing to him, Jesus, a paralyzed man, Carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. I remember as a child being taught this story over and over again. It it seems like a favorite among Sunday school teachers, and it's a great story. But usually we spent all of our time focusing on these great friends. And and how much effort they were willing to go through for their friend that that needed Jesus. And, And so they were willing, they couldn't get through, and they were willing to carry him up on the roof and to split the roof tiles and lower him down. And how great these friends are. And that's a wonderful lesson. We should be like these friends. That's not the point of the story. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, look how the teachers of the law respond to this. Now, some teachers, this is is verse 6, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Here's the heart of this story. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Why? Why? Why would these teachers of the Old Testament law understand that only God could forgive sins? Jewish rabbis, Jewish priests never claimed to be able to forgive sins. Never. Only God could forgive sins. Why? Because only the offended party can forgive the offense. That was fundamental throughout the Old Testament law. Our sin is against God. So only God can forgive our sins. And so these teachers of the law are rightly looking at what Jesus is doing and they're saying, this is wrong. This man cannot claim to forgive sins unless he is God. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted them to understand. Jesus was linking this miracle to his claim that he is God. And that's what he says in the passage to come. He says, But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. What Jesus is saying is, If I heal this guy, it is proof to you that I have the power that only God has to forgive sins. God promised his people one who would deliver them, who would rightly be called mighty God. And so often we limit that just as they struggled in their day because they thought, overthrow the powers of this world, fix the problems of my life. But the mighty power of Jesus Christ is in meeting our greatest need. saving us from our sin by dying in our place on the cross and rising from the dead, promising eternal life to all who believe. This is not to say that he is careless or thoughtless about all the other situations in our life. Just like in Isaiah's day, he knows what we're going through. He is at work. He's not saying, oh, don't worry about it. I saved you from your sins. You're fine. He is at work and he does care and he works in mighty ways. But I don't want us to miss the more important and deeper issue. If Jesus is mighty and powerful enough to forgive us our sins, will he not also be at work in other situations of our life? Not always in the way we expect. Jesus didn't often do things in the ways we expect. But I don't want us to miss the true mighty power of Jesus. I started with this question, do you ever need strength? And right away, we had to qualify it. What kind of strength? Different situations need different strength. If we need something heavy moved or something stuck open or loosened, we need someone with physical strength. If we're facing an army, we need someone with military strength. But what if our greatest need and our greatest problem is sin? Which is exactly what the Bible says. What if our greatest problem is being separated from the God who created us? And our greatest need is to be restored to a right relationship with Him. Well, then what kind of strength do we need? Well, ultimately, we need God. Because only God can forgive sins. But we also need someone who is a human being. Because only a human can pay the price for humanity's sins. So we need a Savior who is human, but also mighty, powerful, divine God. Equal to God Himself. Someone who is strong enough to pay for the sins of the entire world and qualified to forgive us from our sins. And we receive the greatest gift of all. Mighty God, born as a frail human baby, to live among us, Jesus was not what anyone expected. He still is not what so many people expect. But he was and is exactly who we need. The mighty God who came to save us. The miracles that he did demonstrated his might. The teachings explain his power and his might and how these should work in our lives and how we should follow him. But it was the cross That truly demonstrated the mighty power of Jesus Christ. And that Savior, that mighty God who was foretold, promises, I am with you always to the very end of the earth. So, as you walk through this Christmas, and I know holidays are one of those times that so often it's easy to dwell on the hardships that we're facing, it's a very normal response. And I pray if, if you're struggling with that, I, I don't want to seem like I'm saying just get over it. It's no big deal. It's fine. But I do want you to include in those thoughts, I have a mighty God. And He is with me and He has promised to never leave me or forsake me. And for some of you, you need to answer the question, will you trust in Jesus as your mighty God? who can save you christmas takes on a whole new meaning when when you think about a baby born in a manger to save us from our sins the gifts take on a whole new meaning The joy of Christmas, the hope of Christmas, becomes something beyond just what our culture can kind of manufacture. And it becomes a truth fulfilled all the way from the days of Isaiah, of God saying, I'm sending you one who will save you from your sins. I pray that we will keep on trusting Jesus as our mighty God. Let us pray. Father... Help us to have a bigger picture of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to have a picture that is filled in and informed by your word. These promises that are so rich from the Old Testament. So that when we read these phrases, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then we see in the New Testament how Jesus so perfectly fulfilled these things. Help us to understand Jesus is not who we expected him to be, but he is exactly who we need him to be. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here hearing about the mighty saving power of Jesus who has never accepted that power for their own life to save them from their sins, may today be the day, may this Christmas be truly the day that the birth of Jesus becomes something so much more to them and Father, for the rest of us, whatever people are facing, whatever struggles they're going through, that maybe we need to hear about your mighty power at work through your Son, Jesus Christ. And that He is right here with us in our day-to-day situations. He is taken care of our greatest need, salvation from our sins, but He has never forgotten us and will never leave us. And one day, that mighty God Your son is returning to take us to be with you forever and ever. So Father, we rejoice in that truth and look forward to that day. And in the meanwhile, may we spread the truth through our stories, how you've been at work in our lives, that others might be pointed to your son Jesus and believe in him as their savior. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.